0: ready all right so as I said tonight we're gonna be talking about narrative and this is kind of a big deal because it is most of the Bible is in narrative form and I don't know if you have felt like you're in an English class all summer does that does anyone else get that feeling like we come week after week genre 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 and we're going back to what we learned in probably high school maybe some of you middle school depends on where you went Um, Some basic rules for reading scripture, but really it's basic rules for reading any form of literature. You got to know how to read them, to read them accurately and to read them well and to know what the author is wanting us to get from it. Now, ours is significant because we believe it's inspired by God, right? And so it does something that other books do not. We believe it can cut us to our core. We believe it can transform us because it is about God. And other books we read don't have that, but it's significant still in how we approach the different genres that are in it. And I think this one's fun because we love stories. It's kind of innate in us, right? As you thought of a storyteller, like you knew someone, you had someone in mind, and you like to listen to them. Maybe your mom read books. I love to read to my kids. Actually. I read to them up until just a few years ago when they, they just couldn't do it anymore. They were over mom reading to them. But I, I loved stories and I loved reading stories to them. And we like them in lots of different forms, don't we, right? 15 second TikToks, 30 second Instagrams, um, maybe the 30 minute show on Netflix, for really fun and feisty, like, like the two hour, three hour documentaries. Like we like them in all sorts of lengths and all sorts of styles. Like we are made for stories. And I think that's important because I think that connects us to something else the Lord is doing that we'll talk about in just a little bit. But I don't want us to miss what we learned many, many weeks ago. Scott taught on the first component as we come in to read God's word is we cannot miss that we need to be observing it, right? There's an observation that we are doing, So we are looking for what the author has for us in that, right? We are not trying to guess. The author actually has a meaning for us, and we are looking for it, but we have to observe the text first, which means we get to read it in lots of different ways. Um, And the original audience is different than us. They didn't have a written form, right? So everything they had was because someone told them, and they told them, and they kept telling them again and again. Right? They didn't have this written for them. They didn't have the education, even if they had had it. And so they were hearers of the word, which I think is important when we think about story. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So our introduction, introduction, we're going to start with the Old Testament historical narrative, which, if you look at your notes, covers over 40% of the Old Testament as your first blank, right? And the Old Testament covers like three quarters of our entire Bible. So this is pretty big. Nearly half of our Bible is written in narrative form. So when we are coming to it, you're going to run into a lot of stories because narratives are stories, but they're not just stories for story's sake, right? They are purposely retelling of historical events with the intention of giving meaning for a given person in the present, right? So they're telling historical events, but they're meaning them for more than just history. They have purpose to them and they want us to hear from them. It's it's Moses has written the first five books of the Bible and then Deuteronomy 31, he's telling them why I wrote this. He's about, the Israelites are about to enter the promised land and he's got the books and he's ready. He's like, You have got to remember these stories because these stories remind you to fear the Lord and they remind you of who God is. You've got to remember. And so he's taking historical events, but he's got a purpose for his audience that he's giving this to, to continue on. So it's not just history. There is a purpose to these narratives. So why... Why do you think the Bible uses so much narrative form? Because
1: when you write in narrative form, it's like really concise in its thinking, and it gets the point across like pretty well, and you can do it historically or for the future. And since everything kind of goes everywhere in the Bible, it's like you have history, present, future. I think that's extremely important.
0: Okay. So it allows them to talk broadly else? Why else is narrative? Before I give you my thoughts, what do you think? Why is narrative such a helpful genre for us?
1: I think it's more relatable. Okay. Um all of their struggles obviously aren't the same as ours like we're not going through a desert,
0: but yeah, we're not wandering way, for 40 years probably. Right. In a way. Yeah. It's still relatable. To mhm. Anybody else? Austin?
1: Mm.
0: you guys are all not got it we're going to go through my points anyway but you guys are nailing it this is good we're thinking on the same track all right number one for your first they're interesting right narratives stories they are interesting to people of all ages all cultures all backgrounds we have something that interests us and stories will do it Number two, they are easier to remember. All right, stories, we can, we can track with them because of number three, because they draw us into the action. So they're easy to remember. We can, we can see it. We can see them climbing the mountain. We can see them wandering in the desert. And we can kind of feel what they must be feeling. So they draw us in. We see the characters. We see the situations. And we can kind of, for a little bit, see ourselves in those spots. And number four, they are holistic. And what I mean by that is that it's not all the characters who are good only do good things. And all the characters who are bad only do bad things. No, there's this mix of humanity, right? The good characters, those that we are longing to be like, like King David, failed in many areas, right? And so it's complex. They're holistic characters because they are real people. Like we are real people. They struggle with things. And number five, they connect us to the bigger story that is happening. All the little stories we hear are connecting us to a bigger story. But there's some hurdles that also come with this form that we have to kind of think through before we can jump into how we do it. So some of our hurdles, number one, is it's easy to miss the meaning. Right? We can either get really, really excited like about David and Goliath, and we get thinking about, oh, The underdog is going to take out the life. This is so great. And we kind of begin to see ourselves, right, as this David. And we can do anything. And we kind of miss, right, what's actually being told in the story of God's faithfulness to Israel and how he will use, like, this poor shepherd boy that has no reason to be powerful at all, and the Lord uses him. He uses him to be faithful to Israel, right? So really, although David's a piece of it, It has always been the Lord that is at the center. And we miss that meaning because we get so enthralled within individual stories. I think another way we can miss the meaning is narratives don't always give us direct teaching. There's implicit teaching. And so there's something the narrator wants us to understand, but he doesn't tell us directly what it is. He leaves us to wonder about it. And so we have to actually be discerning, and we actually have to ask the Spirit to help reveal, like, what is it I am supposed to be learning for this? And there isn't always a lesson to be learned. But that can make it hard for us to know the meaning in a story form. When is there a lesson? When is there not a lesson? And what is the lesson if there is one? If they're not telling me exactly. um, I think of, like, King David, when he sins with Bathsheba, We don't have that moment where the narrator comes again and says, this is sinful. You have rebelled. You need to be punished, right? He doesn't make it that clear. We get to watch as the story unfolds and how the Lord responds to David. But it's a little more subtle. It's not as direct. We have to be looking for what the narrator leaves us to understand the story. And so it can be easy for us to miss the meaning. Number two, it can be easy to read too little into the narrative, right? We can begin to think of it like just any other story. It's kind of like those fables we learned in grade school, right, where they're teaching some morality, but in the end, I mean, that's for you, not for me. I don't struggle with that for that, so that's for you, not for me. And we just kind of chuck it off. Like it has no application for me at all. And so we read too little into it. Or we can also, in the other spectrum, we can think of it only as history. Right? These are just factual things that happened in the past. And we can miss that there's some theological things if we are thinking too little of a narrative. And the third struggle that we run into is easy to read too much into the narrative. I think the common way in which we do that is we like to add the hidden secret meanings into everything, right? We're always looking for what that secret message, right? If if the narrator's not going to tell me directly, then it's up to me, and I'm going to find the hidden meaning wherever I go. And so those five stones that David picked up that he was going to use against Goliath, those have to mean something, right? And we begin to like make up all these weird things. Well, it's faith, right? And it's, It's confidence, and it's bravery, right? And we start adding things the text has not said, does not point to, makes no sense if you look at the whole of the story. But that's how we add into what was never meant to be there. But when a narrator narrator doesn't tell us, we are left to kind of fill in some pieces. And at times, we can go too far for it. Because as I said, our narratives don't always answer all of our questions. They leave us wondering at times. And they can't carry the weight of answering all of our questions. That not, that's not what the story is for. Not the individual stories in way. And to read a good story, we actually have to look at three different layers of the story. Because they're happening all at the same time, whether we can really see it or not. It's like, kind of like a puzzle. All right? I have three pieces. I've got a yellow one. I've got a blue one. This one's got some red and some brown. Anyone want to take a guess on what this puzzle is? Sunset. A sunset, okay. McDonald's, I like it I mean red, I get it, it's very bright it's very primary colors <laughs> right, if this is all I have right, a story from Genesis and a story from Judges and a story from Exodus right, these don't they don't just fit together they don't really tell me a whole lot, they're just individual stories I need more pieces to it And so we have to think like that. There is, I kind of put these in the reverse order of how I'm going to talk about it, but the bottom level is our individual stories. The individual narratives that we have are single pieces to the puzzle. And there's hundreds of them, right? They shift in and out of different stories as we keep reading the narratives of Genesis and Exodus. Different characters coming in, different characters going out, different stories. But those little individual stories are also connected, as we learned earlier in our semester, to other stories around it, right? And so there's this redemptive work that is surrounding this individual story, and so we get other pieces to our puzzle come in focus when we are thinking about um, either the Old Testament, if we are studying the Old Testament, or the New Testament. And then our top level, this is the the big one, we call it our meta-narrative the big story of scripture. It can also be called the story of redemption, right? It's what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation where he creates all things and he creates them out of nothing and it was good and it was very good. All that he designed, perfect. We last two chapters, chapter three comes. This humanity that he has made in his own image decides, I would like a little bit more than what you gave me and they rebel against the Lord. And sin enters. And we have the fall. The separation between us and the God that we are made by and made for. Separated. And we spend the rest of Genesis 3 to Revelation 22. He is working out his plan to redeem all things through his son Jesus on the cross, dying in our place. His perfect life for our sinful life knowing that restoration fully comes only through him that is the big story of scripture in a very condensed time creation fall redemption restoration and so when we are looking at our individual pieces we've got to keep the meta-narrative in mind because that tells us the whole puzzle which for you tonight is a puzzle of london So sunset, you were real close. It kind of, kind of, I know. Sorry, it's not McDonald's. It was not that. And so we, we are always zooming in to the story and zooming out. So what is happening in this story? What is happening around it? And what is happening all in scripture? Those are the three layers when we're thinking through narrative that we have got to keep in mind. Now, Here's where we really feel like we're back in English class. There are some specifics for a narrative. And again, these apply if you are going to read a book. They also will apply to you just reading a book. Um, Key point number one, there is going to be a plot. And if you remember, there's that beautiful line that they used to draw for you, right? Where you get your character and your setting and some conflict comes in You have the rising action, you have your climax, and then it's falling, and we have resolution, right? So you have the beginning, you have this middle climax, and you have an end resolution. That is your basic plot line. It has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. But what happens when we're reading some of our individual stories? And we fail to remember that they are in the midst of one big story. I have an example for you. I want you to turn to Judges six. Judges six. And can I get someone to read verses thirty six through thirty eight? Okay.
2: Said, I will put a wool fleece here on the threshing floor. If dew is only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I will know that you will deliver. It will by my strength, as you said. And that is what happened. When he got up early in the morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung dew out of it, filling the bowl. All
0: right. So Gideon, Gideon is one of the judges that the Lord has called, and we find him if we just start in verse 36 asking for a sign because he is trying to discern God's will. And if this is all we read, then we could easily conclude that Gideon is trying to discern God's will for us, right? This is how we do it. We present signs to the Lord, the Lord responds, and then we know if we are to do something or not do something. But if that's all we looked at, we've missed. We've missed the whole of the story. We've actually missed this whole plot line because we've come in at a weird spot. We're in the rising action still. Because if you look at the rest of chapter 6, you will have seen in verse 17, yeah, gideons he's already asked for another sign. And the Lord in his kindness gave it to him. And and this is his middle one because he's going to ask for another sign on what he should do. Because God has called him to go and defeat the enemies. And he has told him, I will go with you and I will defeat them. And Gideon's just, he's not real sure. He's kind of cowardly about it. See, Gideon isn't trying to discern God's will. He actually is being real disobedient to the Lord. He actually is not trusting that what the Lord has said he would do, he would do. That is our, what we've missed if we only hone in on that little section of Gideon. So we have to zoom out because does the Lord, um, is the Lord uh, able to be manipulated? Do we believe that? No, got some no. I like that there's like the slow no, like you kind of, you're like, I'm pretty sure it's no, but I'm not, I'm not positive. It's no, we, don't, we can't manipulate God. Um, but Gideon here is, he's trying to get what he wants and it's just not what the Lord has asked him to do. And so when we're looking at the whole scope of what's going on, we have to recognize that we know the Lord's character from all over scripture and what Gideon is doing actually does not even line up. And so we have to step back. And Gideon's story is in the midst of our big story. And so keeping the zoom in and zoom out kind of constantly in our minds. All right, so there's our plot. Setting, also a key component for our narratives. These are actually really important in, in our narratives. Noticing if the people are in the promised land or if they're outside of the promised land and why they're outside of the promised land, right? The Lord has promised them a land. And when they are not there, something is wrong. That tells us right away that something is wrong. Are they on a holy place or are they just kind of on common ground? So where are the people? Where are the main characters when we enter into their story? Number three, our characters. And this is, this is an interesting one. they, generally when we hear about our characters it is not a lot on their physical stature it actually is more on their character that our, our narrators like to hone in on are they wise or are they foolish are they poor or are they wealthy are they generous or are they kind like those are things that typically we get to hear about them and when they do emphasize like they're really tall that kind of stands out because that's odd and so noticing our characters and how they are presented. Um, One of the key ways in which our our narrators like to, in stories, compare, is they like to compare our our characters to each other. Again, they don't always tell us good or bad, they're just kind of stating what is happening. An example of this we see in King Saul and the future King David. So in 1 Samuel 9, we get a picture of who Saul is. So Saul, they actually say he looks really impressive. And again, this is this is not normal. They don't normally state that. Saul has been in charge of his father's donkey and he's lost one. So he's got a herd, he's not maintaining it well. He goes out to look for it, gets real discouraged real fast, and just wants to go home. So he doesn't want to keep looking for the lost donkey. His servant that he takes with him actually is the one that convinces him yeah, we should probably keep looking for your father's donkey. And so he does, but it seems reluctantly. And so they're going to go see the prophet at that time, Samuel. And when he sees Samuel, he really do- he doesn't recognize him. He's not. And so all these pieces kind of stand out. Like, right? well, that's an interesting way for a king to behave. His character doesn't line up to what we, we want a king to be, right? Someone who right, doesn't care about his dad's lost stuff, right? easily gives up, easily discouraged, doesn't seem to be a man of God as he's looking for a prophet. So that's how they kind of set us up for King Saul. And he has not even become king yet, but this is how he's described. And then a little bit later, we get a picture of what the future King David will be. And David has a very different story. This is right before he comes in to defeat Goliath. Right? And it talks of how he has never lost any of the sheep that he's in charge of. He actually will go after bears and lions that come into to devour them. He will fight them. And he is not afraid of this giant. How dare he go against the Lord, right? That is his response. And so there's this, it doesn't matter his size, right? It's talking about him as if he's not impressive, but the character of him is huge. And so they contrast our characters. So paying attention to how the narrator writes up who each of these characters are. And again, he leaves you to fill in the gaps. Okay. Good, bad. Where's this going to land? So character is key. And our last one is our narrator. So never really introduces themselves, but is key to our writing. Because he chooses what is included in the story and what is not. Because he doesn't write everything. He chooses certain stories for certain reasons, and he places them in certain orders. And in the end, it's it's not the... The narrator's viewpoint. It actually is the Lord's viewpoint, right? If the Lord is the one by the Holy Spirit who is inspiring these, these are the pieces, these are the stories that God desires us to know and to remember. All right, we're going to take a short break and practice together just a few of these things. And I'm going to do it in four groups. I know your pages probably say in two groups. I lied. We're going to change that. So, If you are in the couch section here, and I'm going to lump Kyra and Josh, your couch section, I want you to read uh, Ruth 1 for me. And I want you to kind of look for these. What can you pick up on what's going on in the plot, setting, characters? What are some key things that are standing out to you? Um, All right. Couch people in the back, Ruth 2. Chair section here, Ruth 3. Chair section here, Ruth 4. I'm going to give you a few minutes and then we're going to come back together and see what we can put together. Are
1: we supposed to all read together or something?
2: Or or
0: Yes, yes. Yes, you can do yours. Then you don't have to go. Okay.
2: I'm <laughs> working Yes. This is this is chapter four. Chapter three.
1: What? You can do it together as a group project or individually, whatever is easy Yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You just go with it.
1: It'll <laughs> <That'd> be great. And
2: <laughs> the <laughs> So that the wind was people left without writing songs in her daughter, she a place where Jason arose with her daughters and dollars daughter she had heard, said to you go back to May the Lord show kindness to you. As she said, she was with her and she on the return to and then said her, two dollars they said her, She said, see your sister-in-law, going back to the people, and <laughs> <laughs> your
1: sister-in-law. <laughs> you <laughs> do not urge me to when leave
2: you or to return to temple, <laughs> you go, I will work. Work. where you are, I will <laughs> Your people shall <laughs> be <helping laughs> my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will be, because they are worthy of me, I will be, I will be, and may the Lord hear so from you, for also if they are in the so dead parts you, of me, and when Naomi said that, she was determined to go to church. She said no started. more. So the two of
1: them went on, and so they
2: came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was third, because of was a dead man, and there was you're mm-hmm. <laughs> not Three more
0: minutes. I think we're,
2: kind of, like, we're supposed to go, <laughs> to go through a great chat about the plot. Yeah. <laughs> I think just read about it. Right? Let's start with the setting. So basically, okay. the okay. setting. It's, it's like they are going to Bethlehem. I think, I think mm-hmm. they're in, in Moab. Yeah. Yes. they yes. These two are in Moab. And uh, we can't no Yeah. You mean, okay, we need three characters first. Um, Naomi. Naomi.
1: and I so no, Well, actually, no, 1st yeah, say I mean, the two oh, Robert. 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 Oh, so, well, just names in, in the Bible now, Naomi thinks God's bad, basically. is like, all right, we'll see you later. Because like God's So
2: Sure, that's right.
0: One more
1: minute. Right
2: there. means all right come back to me <laughs>
0: All right, so I chose Ruth because it only has four chapters, and we, a, we can follow it if you had more time, could easily have read all four chapters, and traced each of these steps fairly easily. But for the sake of time, we broke into groups, which makes it interesting because you only had certain chapters. So we're going to go around, and someone from your section is going to give us a summary of what happened in your chapter. All right, so couch people in the front. Who would like to give us a summary of chapter one? What is happening?
2: I'm, I'm trained in this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can do it.
0: All right, Caleb's gonna give it a go.
2: Yeah. So we end up. So we look into the story of what it is. And apparently, it's uh, the story of Naomi and her <laughs> husband. I don't know how to say his He's name. It's Eli. Eli, Eli <laughs> sounds a lot more able to say. Elimelech,
0: yeah.
2: yeah. And she has two sons. And uh, on their journey from where they were in Bethlehem, or not? Uh, Noah, they, yeah, they were in Moab. Mm-hmm. Apparently, her husband died, and her sons had two wives. And her sons died at this point, and she's wanting to return home where, where Jesus had just went through in Bethlehem.
0: We hadn't went through there yet. We're yes. still in the Old oh, Testament. Okay, yes, yes. Yes, yes. 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 Jesus doesn't come yet. Oh, sorry. Yes. That's okay. So
2: uh, apparently she's going back home, but the uh, thing is she wants the, her daughter-in-law to stay behind so mm-hmm. that they can have happy lives with, with new husbands. Uh, but Ruth decides to go with Naomi mm-hmm. and the other one, <sighs> Orpah, just kisses her and kisses her, says bye-bye. Mm-hmm.
0: Which All right, so we start right off. We have our conflict. All right, what did we notice about setting in chapter one? What was something that stood out in the setting?
2: So they're in Judah, or Judah and the country of Moab, and then they. Now they're in Moab. Mm hmm. But they're also Ephraimites. Uh huh. From Bethlehem, Judah, and now live in Moab.
0: So they're not in the promised land. No. They're not in Israel. That's a key thing. They have left the bread, right? Bethlehem, bread to go somewhere because there's a famine. So something's not right at all. If they are leaving the promised land and they are, that's where we find them. That's where our story begins. Okay. Anything else? Chapter one, you feel like we need to know setting wise? We start with our conflict. It's not looking good for Ruth and Naomi. All right. Chapter two. How's our story continue? Mm -hmm. all right so they've made it back to the promised land they just he she just happens to find the plot of this man named boaz how is boaz described A a guardian redeemer any guesses on what that means Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so he's going to take care of them, right? Because to be a widow would be a very vulnerable state at that time, right? And so he can come and he can redeem them and redeem their property for them so they have security, okay? Chapter 3. Where does our story continue? We've got our conflict. They're still figuring out some things, but we add Boaz to the characters. What's happening in chapter three?
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
0: So we have Boaz still remains a man of character, uh, still remains the redeemer, right? Ruth continues to love her her mother-in-law well, but they still don't have any resolution, right? They're still very vulnerable. They're still waiting. Chapter four, how does it conclude? Uh, So we're to the point that
1: starts with Boaz has found another guardian. Mm-hmm. It's like they have first, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think Boaz kind of doesn't want that to happen. <laughs> like that, but that's just to um, and so he goes up, and it's a very official so The setting is very official. Mm-hmm. He's got the elders, he's got the like, Redeemer. Like, I mean, it's like modern day court, but like it's huh? like a really red version. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, and it, and it continues on. And he's like, hey, would you like to? Yes, yeah, so of course, I'd love to, you know, like, yeah. he's like, well, you have to marry her. And, he's, and the Redeemer does not, he's like, I can't do that. I'll give him my own inheritance. And so he's like, and I will do it. And they go through all, basically, the signing of papers now, you know, attorneys and, president, and um And then it, it just continues on uh, to where he does, uh, he does the act of redemption. And he, yeah, I mean, that's.
0: He gets to marry Ruth. And where does chapter four end? <laughs> What's the very end?
1: Well, <laughs> it ends and then it gives the genealogy. Yeah, we get the genealogy. Get the genealogy. So, and and it's extremely important to know that this this is part of the line uh and the genealogy of Jesus. It Jesus it there. But that's not Jesus is not a in story. But you can draw that inference through it. Yep.
0: Yeah, right? If we're zooming in, right, we have Ruth, but if we zoom out. And think of the plot line of the meta narrative, right, with Jesus, right, as as the fulfillment of all things in the Old Testament. And they end with who fathered David. And as we get more genealogies, we get to Jesus, right? And so this one simple story, right, we went up and down. We saw the conflict. We saw how Boaz comes and he redeems. And we see the resolution come, but it's a small story in the big story. And so we get to do this time and time again as we do narratives together. And so I I hope you'll keep practicing this as you are reading the narratives. Again, it is most of the Bible when we are reading it. So you get lots of practice again and again, thinking through what's happening in this little story. How does it connect to what's around it? And how does it connect to the big story that the Lord has been telling since he created all things? All right, so our last piece for the evening is we get to move into gospel narrative. Now that doesn't mean we just forget everything we just talked about, and we have a whole new set of rules. This is still narrative, so what we just talked through in plot, in character, in setting, these things still apply. The layers in which we're going to look at the stories that we see in the in the gospel narratives, same tools are needed. But we're at a different place in the meta-narrative. We're right at the peak. And so our emphasis is going to be different. Everything we were studying in the Old Testament was pointing us towards something. And when we get to the Gospels, we are there. And that's key to keep in mind. So our Gospels, the nature of the Gospels, are divided into roughly two groups. And when you think about them, we have the sayings, the teachings of Jesus Christ, and the narratives, the stories about Jesus Christ. Now, there's lots of other pieces mixed into the gospel accounts, but those kind of summarize. Yes, Drew? They are not the same thing as parables. That is a different type type of genre. Yes, a narrative is the story form. A parable is an offshoot of a narrative. Yes, good question. Would the kind of because that is the teaching of Jesus? Mm-hmm. They go into it, mm-hmm. what he's teaching us. So, number two, Jesus never wrote a gospel, but all of them are written about him. Because Jesus is the focus of them. It is his life and his death and his resurrection that each of the gospel writers is focused on. And so we have to keep that in mind as we think about these gospel narratives. He is the focus of all of it. Because the, the term gospel literally means good news. The good news has come. The kingdom that was promised, that fall that I said I was going to point to a redemption, it's here. My time has come. The good news is here. And we get four different gospel accounts. Not just one, we get four. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic gospel. So those are very similar in their styles. John is not. John tells the story of Jesus in a very different way. But I want you to keep in mind, so even though we have four different tellings, Jesus is the focus of all of them, but the audience is going to be different. So they're going to have a different author and a different audience for each of the Gospels, which takes us back to our first week that there is an author's intended meaning. So the way each author has composed their Gospel is significant because they have chosen the principles of selectivity, arrangement, and adaptation in mind. So I'll say that again. They have chosen the principles of selectivity, arrangement and adaptation in mind. And I think we can hear those words and we can begin to like picture ourselves in high school where we were like real selective in what we chose to tell our parents about maybe an event that happened in our lives, right? I don't know, maybe that was just me. I'm sure you guys did not ever try and do that with your parents, that, that was probably just me, right? But you're like, you're gonna arrange a certain way because you're trying to manipulate what is happening and so we kind of have to remove like, the sinful simple ways in which we think about being selective and arranging and adapting a story, right? We kind of have to remove that if we're thinking this is the story about Jesus and this is a story to point us about how to grow in us and grow in him and think through it through the lens of a more divine, holy way of thinking through why they are doing this. Because they are trying to help their audience see Jesus. As clearly as they can. And so they know the hurdles that it's going to take for each of their audiences. And so they kind of go after them. So they arrange their stories and they select certain stories. Again, this isn't all of what happened in Jesus' life. We are not seeing all of it in these four accounts. They are selecting specific pieces and they are arranging them in certain orders and they are adapting them as needed to help their specific audience have a better picture of who Jesus is. All right, and for the sake of time, we're going to come down to the specifics of how to study the gospel accounts. Really, I only have two tips for you in addition to what we kind of talked about in the first half. The first is we're going to read them vertically. And what I mean by that is that we're going to read each gospel account in its own theme and structure. So when I'm looking at Matthew, I'm thinking of all of Matthew. I'm going to keep it nice and tight. How does Matthew try and point me to Jesus? What are his specific themes? What are his specific structures? And so I want to look at Matthew on its own. John is real kind to us. He actually tells us why he wrote it the way he wrote it. At the end of John 20, he says, I have written, um, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. So, everything that John chooses to put in his is pointing to that. He wants you to know and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so, read them vertically, read them individually, think through the structure that they have chosen and why they have chosen it. Boat number two, we need to read them horizontally. So, we need to read them collectively. We need to look at all four gospel accounts. Um, Now, here's the thing. We're not trying to harmonize and make all of the pieces all fit together, right? By reading all four, it's not like we get the biggest picture and all of our answers about Jesus are answered. But it does help us see, one, what we're trying to find in in our first section, right, how they differ and how they're pointing us to Jesus. Actually, reading all four of them will help with that. But again, they have different audiences that they are trying to teach it to. And so we get to have different accounts. Um, and again, we are trusting the Holy Spirit as he gifted each of those writers, has given us everything that we need. Now, it is not everything. We do not know all things, but we know sufficiently what we need to know to have a saving faith in Jesus. And so we have to keep that in mind. Um, All right, so we're going to read them vertically, and we're going to read them horizontally. I brought, um, if you want to look at it, so you have all these cool apps that will put the Gospels side by side. They have books that do that, too. Uh, This is called Gospel Parallels. If you want to look at what that looks like, to look at each of the stories and how they fit with the others, um, you're welcome to come look at this. This is not mine. I borrowed this from Jim. That's what you do when you're on staff you don't buy your books you just borrow from everyone else's books there's a great library it's really handy i really like it Um, the other tool that i would encourage you if you are interested in reading more uh, there are a lot of great books on how to study the bible this is one that is fairly easy to read and i think anyone could benefit from so how to read the bible for all it's worth there are multiple textbooks on this but this is a simple read so I'd encourage that one. So the last thing I want to do with us is I actually want to just pray. The last piece of Mark is your homework. I know. We're in, it's like your summer class. Is I want you to go back and I want you to take your tools and I want you to look at these different accounts of Mark and figure out how those little stories that Mark gives us fit together. What is their plot? What is the setting? What is the connection that they have together? Okay? So I want you to do that together. So I'm going to pray. And then I will tell you what's next. Father. God, your word. God, it is eternal, God, and it points us to you, God, and so I pray, God, I pray that we would hunger to know it better, God, I pray as we are developing tools, God, I pray that it would help us to know you more, God, and not just know facts about you, God, but to grow our trust in you and grow our belief in you, God, and grow um, grow our faith, God, that you are all that you say that you are. And even when we do not have all the answers and even when our life circumstances do not line up with what we want them to be or how we thought they were going to go, God, we can come back to your word again and again and find you faithful, God, and find you holy still, God, and find you good, God, and working for our good, God. And so would our time in this study all summer long, God, would it bring us to you in greater depths oh that we would love your word father that is my prayer for us in your son's name i pray amen all right it is real hot out are you gonna you want to make the announcement okay i'm gonna step down i guess alex making our announcements that sounds great um
2: okay quick things what she was about to say before i rudely interrupted It's okay um we're gonna go hang out at Sonic after this and it's just gonna be like an ice cream grab whatever food so love to have all you guys there uh, the Sonic on the, that street What is that? main street that's main, main, street. main street. Yeah. yes main street right over there can't miss it um, so love to have you with that um, one request for help and then one reminder uh, for you guys so tomorrow uh,